Hello friends, my name is Brenna. And I'm Danny, and, and this, this is Lago Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listeners' discretion is advised. Welcome back, Lagos friends. Last episode, we talked about sexual assault awareness, but April is also Child Abuse Prevention Month, so that's what I will be discussing today. And with that, I want to provide everyone with a trigger warning because this episode may be hard to listen to as we will be talking about physical child abuse, emotional child abuse, and suicide. Yeah, with that trigger warning, we know it will be hard to hear, but we think this is something that's really important to keep front view just because it is happening and if you don't talk about it, it's going to continue happening and nothing's going to go forward with change. Absolutely. Today I'm going to tell you about a young girl destined to become a Hollywood star, Judith Barcy. And Danny, did you ever watch the movie The Land Before Time as a kid and before you answer? I swear if you say you've never seen this movie, we cannot be friends. No, we watched it in the car. We remember that on the way to school. Hmm. No, I don't remember that. I remember being so sad anytime I think about it is what I remember. Yeah, no, it was so cute. We'd always watch it Mm. on the way to school. I remember that. But do you remember the dinosaur ducky? Yes! (laughs) So cute. And for the people that have no idea what we're talking about, one, watch the movie. But two, basically it starts out as a tragic story when a small herbivore dinosaur loses his mother to a carnivorous dinosaur. With her last breath, she tells her son, Littlefoot, who's the main character, how to get to the Great Valley to find other dinosaurs like him. Along the way, he meets other orphan dinosaur friends, which Ducky is one of them, while also being tracked by the dinosaur that killed his mother. And that does not sound like a kid's movie. None of them are. But I also see now why you're vegan. Yes! (laughs) Bro, this movie, and also I watched Babe as an adult, which Babe was my favorite. And then the duck was like, I don't understand why they eat me. Like, I don't understand. I was like, it all makes sense. (laughs) It all makes sense. Just traumatized over (laughs) and over. Yes. All right, well, we'll get off the topic of dinosaurs and back to true crime. The reason why I brought up The Lamb Before Time is because Judith Barcy was the voice actor of Ducky. Oh. Yeah. She was a part of several other large movies as well, such as Jaws 4, The Revenge, and she played the voice of Anne Marie in All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's another traumatizing movie. I didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. I'm sure it was because my mom, like, the title Dogs in Heaven, like, no, we're not <laughs> watching it. <laughs> she also appeared in several TV episodes, one of which was Cheers, and appeared in over 70 TV commercials, which included Jif Peanut Butter, Campbell's Soup, and Toys R Us. And this was a little girl? Yes. So, well, I'll get to when she was discovered, but yeah, so 5 to 10 years old. Wow. Judith was born June 6, 1978, in San Fernando Valley, California, to Joseph Barcy and Maria Benko. They were Hungarian immigrants that had separately fled the then-Soviet-owned Hungary, in 1956 and met and married in the U.S. Judith was their only child together. Her mother Maria began teaching Judith at a young age on how to become a Hollywood star after the family struggled on welfare. She taught her poise and how to speak, but even with this at-home training, Judith had a casting experience that you only see in the movies as she was discovered by accident. 
Judith was at an ice skating ring when a film crew saw a tiny blonde girl gliding effortlessly across the ice and invited her to be in the commercial they were filming. An agent there mistook Judith's small stature as one of a three-year-old, even though she was five and a half at the time. She would remain tiny and in later years would even start growth hormones from UCLA to help her grow. Her tiny stature did help in her acting career though, since even when she was 10 years old, she could play a seven or eight year old, which allowed her to have a bit more maturity than a younger actress, but still look very young. Her first official booking, she was cast for a Donald Duck orange juice commercial, and from there she grew as a child star. Her mother, Maria, wanted her life to be as normal as possible though. She kept her in school unless she had to be pulled out for filming and brought her lunch daily with classic Hungarian lunches such as duck. She also encouraged Judith to ride her bike, play board games, and knit. When Judith's commercials or appearances were scheduled to be on TV, Maria would make popcorn and the two would sit together and watch. Before her fame made her the primary financial provider, the family of three struggled as Joseph often became drunk at home instead of working as a plumber, and they ended up on welfare because he lost his current job due to so many absences. Maria did not work as Joseph forbid her from it. By 1985, seven-year-old Judith's income reached $100,000 per year, which allowed the family to purchase a three-bedroom home in a quiet cul-de-sac in Los Angeles. I do think it's really sweet that her mom, even though she really tried to push her to get into acting, still wanted her to be in school, to ride her bike, to play board games. Once you start to become famous, it's not those are things that are not going to yeah be the quote unquote norm especially anymore. for children. Mm-hmm. And it's really crappy that she ended up being the main breadwinner because her mom couldn't work and he just felt like it was better to be drunk at home. Mm-hmm. But then also forbidding your wife to work when mm-hmm. you're not working either. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was a culture thing or like a controlling thing, but yeah. Either way. Either way, it's a lose-lose situation. Mm-hmm. The more Judith grew in fame, though, the more reclusive her father, Joseph, became. The tiny and bubbly girl that once always smiled began to show signs of distress. In addition to noticeable weight gain, Judith began biting her fingernails, had pulled out all of her eyelashes, pulled out her eyebrows, as well as de-whiskered one of her cats. Trichotillomania, summarized by the Mayo Clinic, is, quote, a mental disorder that involves recurrent irresistible urges to pull out hair from your scalp, eyebrows, or other areas of your body despite trying to stop, end quote. Although it is categorized separately from an anxiety disorder, trichotillomania can be triggered or escalate due to anxiety, stress, or tension, which in Judith's case was unfortunately the most likely cause. Judith and Maria were hiding years of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse from Joseph, In December of 1986, Maria had filed a police report after Joseph threatened to kill her as well as hitting her in the face and choking her. That he had been threatening to kill her for the last five years, but then decided not to prosecute after police stated they found no evidence of physical abuse. This was not the first time he had threatened to kill Maria or Judith, though. A friend of Joseph and a fellow plumber, Peter Kevlin, stated, quote, Barcy told me 500 times he was going to kill his wife. I try to calm him down. I tell him, if you kill her, what will happen to your little one, end quote. To which Barcy responded, quote, I gotta kill her too, end quote. Another instance, he told a neighbor that he would kill Maria and then burn the house down. And in a separate instance, Barcy said that he wouldn't kill Maria, but instead take his own life as well as Judas and leave Maria alone to suffer. 
1987, a relative recalled witness Joseph pulling a knife and telling Judith, quote, if you decide not to come back, I will cut your throat, end quote, as she prepared to leave LA for the Bahamas to film Jaws 4. Judith's agent recalled Joseph being very upset by her departure, however, he would not buy a plane ticket to come and visit her or Maria. After filming ended, the two visited Maria's brother, Joseph Weldon, in New York, to which Barcy reminded Judith over the phone, quote, remember what I told you before you left, end quote, to which Judith became terrified and ran into a bedroom sobbing. Shortly after that phone call, Maria and Judith cut their trip short and returned back to California. So how did they find no evidence of physical abuse, but then all of a sudden you can find all these people that have seen, heard, or witnessed him saying that he's going to kill them? Yeah, so that's the thing. This is in the 80s, right? Late 80s, so... And I'll cover it a little bit more, but domestic violence especially was still considered a family issue, a private issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, don't ask, don't tell. Take exactly. Thing. Like, that. whatever goes on inside your home, like... Keep it to yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Also, I'm not sure if the, like, choking and hitting her was that same night or if it was just like, hey, like, he has done this, he has beat me kind of thing. But there was no evidence of physical abuse, at least by the police's standards. Jesus. Joseph's temper was quick, especially when he drank, and he liked to talk big to his coworkers and friends. According to Peter, Barcy would, quote, go off if he thought anyone was making fun or snickering at his Hungarian accent. Barcy would also tell Peter that he lost vision in one eye from a fight, and once served time in New York for killing a man during a bar brawl, although there was no record of him ever serving time for anything other than drunk driving. Three offenses, by the way. Even after he quit drinking, Maria and Joseph's relationship was hostile, and his temper persisted. The pair fought often. A neighbor of theirs who chose to remain anonymous in an article for the Los Angeles Times recalled seeing an incident of Joseph's temper with Judith. After grabbing a kite from Judith, She became hysterical and told her father that he was going to break it, to which then he stated, according to the neighbor, quote, look at her, she's just a spoiled brat and doesn't share her new toy, end quote, to which the neighbor then witnessed seeing him break the kite into as many small pieces as possible. A family friend also recalled that Judith explained the miserable and dark life they encountered at home when she came to visit. She told the couple, who also chose to stay anonymous, that Judith told them she was scared to return home And she knew that her father wanted to kill her mother. Now, I don't know about you, Danny, if you're just about boiling at how many people were aware of some sort of abuse, whether it be physical or emotional, and not do anything. But there were also people that did attempt to help, either by offering to take in Maria Judith or suggesting help and speaking to Maria about next steps. Maria declined staying in another home, though, as even in the late 80s, domestic violence was still seen as a private family issue and not to be intruded on by others. How traumatizing for this little girl to, like, not even want her dad to take her kite. Mm -hmm. He was going to ruin it. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, and there was another instance that um, he, well, he bought it, but she really bought it because, right, she's probably making all the money still. Um, A pink TV as an apology because in a fit of rage, he, like, yanked her hair. and like, (gasps) yeah. Oh, my God. So, in May of 1988, Judith had a breakdown in front of her agent, Ruth Hansen. Concerned, Ruth suggested that Maria take Judith to see a child psychologist, in which Maria agreed. 
After meeting with the child psychologist, they then reported their findings, which was clearly trauma from physical and emotional abuse to Child Protective Services. CPS closed the case after one month because they stated Maria told them she had a plan that she felt safe with that involved eventually leaving Joseph. Ruth, however, stated Maria told her that CPS would not take action, so she would have to, quote, handle it myself, end quote. Shortly after Judith's visit with the psychologist in May, Maria began taking small steps to remove Judith and herself from Joseph. She began renting an apartment closer to the filming studio so she and Judith would have a safe place to stay during the day before having to return home for the night. Ruth continued pushing Maria to break away for good, but Maria kept hesitating. In June, she told Ruth that she wanted to stay in the neighborhood for Judith's birthday, and in July, she didn't want to lose her home and was terrified Joseph would find and kill them. But by the end of July, Maria no longer had a choice to stay or leave. On Monday, July 25th of 1988, Joseph walked into Judith's bedroom as she slept and shot her in the head. Maria heard the gunshot and ran towards the bedroom, but was also shot dead in the hallway. Later that day, Ruth called the family home after they missed an audition, and Joseph stated that Maria and Judith got in a big car and left for San Diego. Two days later, on July 27th, a neighbor heard a loud explosion and called police. By the time police arrived, the home was up in flames. Joseph Barcy shot himself in the head in their garage after soaking Maria and Judith's body in gasoline and then set the home on fire. Even more twisted, the day before Ruth had spoken with Joseph again and he explained his plans to leave the family home for good but wanted to quote, stick around to say goodbye to Judith, end quote, although Maria and Judith would have been deceased by this time. It's unclear as to what exactly set Joseph off or what he did in the two days after their deaths, but it's theorized that he either found out about Maria's plans to leave, that she had rented an apartment, or that Judith was speaking with a psychologist, or it may have even been all three. Either way, whatever Joseph knew or didn't know, a lot of other people saw the signs and knew he at least had murderous thoughts, yet still Maria and Judith suffered and paid the ultimate price. That just really upsets me with how many times opportunities that people had to step in or intervene and it just wasn't done I mean we've had this conversation so many times and it's just frustrating but again like we said at the beginning this is why we're doing this Mm -hmm. why we're telling this story why it keeps having to be brought up because it literally happens yeah it's not something made up these crazy things happen and most of the time people know about it Mm -hmm. and just don't do anything and it's so frustrating like it really really is especially when a like a young girl's life is involved and I thought it was also really interesting because when you think of like a stereotypical child abuse case you think of people that are which they originally were like on welfare and don't have a lot of money don't have a lot of resources kids are dirty neglected Mm -hmm. because they're in a bad situation and then the abuse piles on top of that but in this instance like they had the money they had the fame and her way to be famous mm -hmm. and that even i mean she was the main provider for her home and it's not like they didn't have all the opportunities to be successful together Mm -hmm. as a family unit 
But going back into more detail about Judith's breakdown, Ruth was saying that she was not only like hysterical and sobbing, but that she also like almost couldn't move and speak. It was like literally emotional and physical breakdown to where like you don't see that often in she adults. She was like in paralysis. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let alone in children. Ugh. And she was already struggling with the trichotillomania, which, you know, already has issues in and of itself but just to see so much trauma that a young girl i was gonna go back to that with the trichotillomania was that super evident and super noticeable like was that something that was clear or was was it more of like small spots here and there and like unless you knew you didn't know yeah so right for like the public wise if she did a commercial it wasn't noticeable especially like her eyelashes they would just put on fake eyelashes, fake eyelashes i'm assuming yeah. but she did pull out every single one of her eyelashes de-whiskered their one of their five cats and had started pulling out her eyebrows i don't think the eyebrows were as noticeable but yeah so like family especially maria and elise the agent definitely knew about the trigotillomania oh it like makes my eyes water thinking about that yeah i can't it's tragic helen helen kleinberg a member of the watchdog commission for children's services states quote it is frightening because it appears that people on the outside took the right steps and we didn't manage it end quote judith and maria's case was the first case to be reviewed by the commission who's an advisory body on children's issues to the Board of Supervisors, and Helen stated that the findings were not good. She added for a Los Angeles article from 1988 that, quote, we can't save every child, end quote, but added that, quote, from my point of view, the child was the client, not the mother, end quote. Wait, I'm sorry? What? (laughs) So hold that thought. Los Angeles police detective Sandra Palmer, who investigated the case, explained it is more difficult for the social welfare system to deal with emotional abuse than physical abuse. She stated, quote, how do we protect someone from threats? We really honestly can't. I could say I'm going to kill you. I have the right because of we have a free society to say that. I don't have the right to carry it out, end quote. Now, this is from the same article, which was dated in 1988. So we know criminal threats are taken more seriously now, or at least should be, but I want to hear your thoughts, Danny, on these quotes from Helen and Sandra. Uh, Helen and Sandra, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, so... I I, don't, I can't even express, because there'd just be a lot of beeping through this episode, <laughs> if I even started to comment on this. Yeah. Like, what the f- <laughs> I agree. I do agree. The only thing I slightly do agree with that, granted, the mother and the child, Maria and Judith, were both their clients. They're like, their job is to take care of both people. Granted, Child Protective Services like focuses on child, but I can see where she was like, we shouldn't have just taken her word for it. We should have stepped in. But also at the same time, I was like, whoa, like, is this how the 80s were? Like, what? But also to even say we can't save every child is so tone deaf. I can't even get past anything. Like, I literally stopped listening to what you said after that because I was so fired up. I couldn't breathe. Like, if it's your job to protect children and then you're saying something like that, why are you even there? I agree. I can't even believe that came out of your mouth yeah 
and like the child was the client not the mother what what are you what are you even saying yeah Whew. I agree. holy so, and that really struck me i wanted to include like it was from 1988 but also i'm like wow like and then how do we protect someone from these threats we can't. i don't know do your job <laughs> yeah. well and i did do a quick google search of like it, like can you tell people that you're gonna kill them and like not be charged like is that real <laughs> no. like what and it was like no like it goes through the whole like you know penal code of um criminal threats so i'm just not sure like maybe I, you should go back to school <laughs> i kind of understand like it, i don't know like i can like see, i get like, it for a little percent. bit but that's not even like you're not even covering the basis of this yeah, case like just like, don't say it's it not all. like he was just like hey yo i'm gonna kill you one time he said it multiple times he even tried to make it a point to like oh i went to jail for killing somebody like no you did like he was bragging about it mm-hmm. and even if that was the only thing he did there was a gajillion people that said that to you yeah so do something yeah do anything but what you did sandra because that is just a pathetic excuse of yeah, a so police she's officer the investigator for the killings Ugh. for this case and like just pathetic i can see again like literally like one snippet i can see how she's saying it's harder to prosecute for emotional abuse because you can't take a picture of a bruise you know with physical abuse things yeah. like that but to say that you really can't protect somebody from verbal abuse and from like serious threats i was like whoa <laughs> this this is this too turned. much yeah, yeah that's too much yeah like his escalation from what he said to what he did it's like in reverse of what sandra's literally trying to say like oh he just didn't do it like yeah like we we heard it, but that's not our fault that he said it. We can't protect him from what he said. And like, like the neighbor that called police that had heard the explosion of the fire starting, um, she stated this was I don't know if it was the same neighbor that chose to stay anonymous, a different neighbor. I don't know. None of them were giving names, which I can see because they're like I knew about the abuse and I did nothing. Yeah. Um, she had said as soon as she heard it, she was like, "Oh my god, he did it. He." He killed, he killed them. them and burned the house down, just like he said. Mm. Which mm, is like, just if that's in your head, like, that's partly on you. Yeah, it really is. It's really on everybody in this situation that knew and didn't. Just and a major failure. I think there was somewhere that we, they took the right steps, but we didn't manage it. Like, you know, nobody took any steps. Yeah, only like, the agent. Only right? the agent, Ruth yeah. And maybe, like, a couple of... of other people. Judith and Maria were buried side by side in a plot located in a Hollywood Hills Memorial Park. Originally, their graves were unmarked, but by 2004, fans of Judith purchased gravestones for the two. Judith's gravestone reads, quote, our concrete angel, end quote, followed by yep, 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 which was Mm. Ducky's catchphrase and reportedly Judith's favorite role. It's unclear what happened to Joseph's remains. At Judith's funeral, Lance Guest, who played her father in Jaws 4, was one of her pallbearers. Actress Brandy Gold, who had worked with Judith for the film Fatal Vision, read the eulogy, which unfortunately this film, Judith played a young girl that was murdered by her own father. Oh my god, I just got full goosebumps. Brandy read the poem named Child of Mine, written by Edgar Albert Guest. And Danny, would you mind reading a snippet of the poem for me? Yeah. But should the angels call for her? much sooner than we had planned. 
we'll brave the bitter grief that comes and try to understand, end quote. Ugh. I mean, we've, we've mentioned it m- multiple times this episode, but it's just really unfortunate that this even had to be said, done. I mean, it's not like nobody knew. Yeah, literally so many people knew. Yeah. Both movies, The Land Before Time and All Dogs Go to Heaven were released after death, and the ending credit song, Love Survives and All Dogs Go to Heaven, is dedicated in Judith's memory. I would like to say that maybe we learned something from Marie and Judith's death, right? It was 1988, but did we? This case eerily reminded me of the Powell case, which if mm-hmm. you remember from last season, Josh Powell, who was under suspicion for killing his wife, killed his two little boys, then killed himself, and then set fire to the family home in 2012. There were also failures found within the child protective system in their case as well. Yeah, and I mean, there's other cases that just came out recently. I don't know if you remember the guy that stuck his children in the oil drums. Oh, yeah, yes. that was another one, too, where people knew that he was being weird and sketchy. Mm-hmm. And that was, what, like, 2017? That was recently, more recent, too, like, at least than 2020 or 2012. So I would love to sit here and say, like, yeah, that this was the start and the end of something, but it's not. It still happens. Yeah. And unfortunately, those who take a blind eye could have helped where and they didn't Mm -hmm. it's just like when someone says an off-color comment or says a little jab here and there like those deteriorate people more and more and more and those accusers and abusers are the ones that build up after each time they're not corrected or called out for that Mm -hmm. behavior and it unfortunately escalates to a situation to where you're like, how how did we get here? Mm-hmm. How did we get to sitting here talking about this when the first time, if someone would have hit, said, hey, stop, it could have been prevented. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and that, and like, it wasn't like family and friends and everybody knew and maybe just like CPS didn't know, but CPS knew and was like, okay, and I get, okay, trusting the mother, right? She knows she knows best and saying like hey I have a plan like I can't leave right now which happens a lot in domestic violence cases but to just close the case altogether is the big failure like they could have kept it open and checked again and like they know it's not like you don't they have all the training you know what's happening and you know the worst and most vulnerable time for victims of domestic uh emotional any abuse is when they're trying to leave yeah like you knew that absolutely and then you're like like, oh case closed we're good do you not have the training on like what to do i understand each case is different and each person and each scenario is different but it's like like do something yeah you know Overall, we may not be able to change the system overnight, but we can continue talking about the failures within the system so they know they need to change. And of course, trying to protect children at home before CPS ever has to get involved is priority. If you see something that doesn't look right, if you hear something from a child or mother, anyone, please say something. At the very least, provide support in any way you can, and don't forget that domestic violence or child abuse is not always clear-cut. Don't blame them if they can't leave the situation that second. It can be complicated, messy, and sometimes unconventional, but know there are ways to help. I've included a couple of resources down below in the description box as well. Beautifully said. 
And with that, that'll conclude today's episode. Let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Facebook at Law Ghost Stories. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us if you haven't already. If you have a case suggestion, please reach out through our website at lawghoststories.com. All of today's source material will be linked in the description box below. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks, but until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound nightmare for theme music.